Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself you art, and show the world your heart, express yourself art. And welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. This is our weekly program covering arts and arts events in Valparaiso and throughout Northwest Indiana. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Our theme music you heard is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Underwriters for Art on the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum, regional art patron Mary LeVan, and our landlord, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments. If you'd like to find out more about leasing space in this historic building, please give Walt a call, 219-462-5821. I'd like to thank them for their generous support. Thanks to Greg Kovach, WVLP's station manager. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and is part of the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts-related event or exhibit, please email us at artontheairwvlp at gmail.com. That's artontheairwvlp.com. WVLP at gmail.com. Our program, along with all of our programs, are streaming live at WVLP.org. Art in the Air is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Our entire show archive can be heard at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash AOTA. You'll also find our detailed arts calendar at breck.com slash AOTA. Our shows are carried by Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, every Sunday at 7 p.m., and you can hear them at lakeshorepublicradio.org. And make sure to like us on our Facebook page, Art on the Air, WVLP. Art on the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art on the Air and, of course, the WVLP station, we'd be happy to become part of the WVLP family anytime. Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com slash AOTA. You can find out support information there or at wvlp.org slash support. We have underwriter levels at various levels. You can support us. We'll mention you during our show and throughout the WVLP broadcast day. You know, we encourage you to uh, become part of a supporter because we are supported by our listeners. So don't just be a WVLP and Art on the Air listener. Become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so so we continue to bring you great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air and the whole WVLP family. Join the WVLP family today. And now on Art in the Air for our spotlight, we have Becky Jaskowiak. She's the uh, president of the Northwest Indiana Excellence in Theater Foundation, also known as NIDF. Welcome to Art on the Air. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, so, Becky, uh, we want to know, how is this uh, current COVID-19 impacting not only NIDF, but theaters in general in Northwest Indiana? Theaters are uh, <laughs> definitely struggling. Um, there were at least uh, three shows that were in process meaning they were either already performing and then had to close early or were um, right up to dress rehearsal night and then were about to open and then um, had to close. So 
Um, you know, even a couple of those theaters have the, the set still sitting on the stage, ready to go when um, when able to return. So um, it's most of our theaters, um, a vast majority of their income comes from ticket sales, and so without that, they are they're really you know struggling trying to figure out how to pay their rent and and um, for those that do have staff, pay their staff. So um, it's definitely been a big challenge for our member theaters. I know it's really hard to envision what it's going to be. I mean, how are we going to do performance? So I've been, yeah, I've been sitting in on a bunch of webinars and roundtable discussions and, you know, theater organizations across the country and um, arts organizations and listening to what they're doing and how they're revamping and, you know, most People immediately think, we'll just do stuff online. You know, that's what you see, like, the big places doing. Um, but there's so many right um, issues that happen with that. And it wasn't until just about a week or two ago that rights houses are finally coming around with shows that you can do online. Um, so that was initially the first thing that people thought of. And then some places are doing open mics where people can just sing or um, on Thursday nights uh, we're doing theater trivia so you can join in online and do theater trivia on Thursday nights um, so that's something um, our improv group has been doing kind of a, um, a takeoff of the old Hollywood Square called The Grid and um, it translates really well to online so they've you know they're using their creativity to uh, envision what theater can look like online. Yeah. You know, Becky, you brought up about rights. I would be concerned in knowing how rights work with theaters for my long time in that. If some of the groups, you know, they've already paid for the rights, royalties, and they can't perform, are they getting refunds or do you know how that's working out? So for most of them, they are just holding their funds and allowing them to either change their date, um, go forward, you know, if they're going to remount the show later on or if they're canceling and they um, are going to do another show. Most of them are holding their funds and applying it to a future production. Um, for you know, for everybody who's who's dealing with trying not to give refunds as much as possible and just extending the benefit. Especially Tam's Whitmark. I know they like Becky, to hold on to the money. Becky, are there any good places to do outdoor theater? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, so we have a contract with the state park. Needif does to perform on Thursday nights throughout the summer. And so we ha we have approval to continue on with that program. It's going to start after um, mid-July and go through um, probably mid-September this year. Usually it runs more like Memorial Day to Labor Day, but, you know, we have, have to adjust a little bit. Um, and then there's lots of parks. Gary Shakespeare Company goes around all over northwest Indiana every summer and performs in parks and um outdoor venues like that. Um, we did just do a, a survey um, to patrons about what they would feel comfortable with as far as uh, attending, and absolutely either virtual or outdoor is where they felt comfortable. What's going on right now by Zoom, do you know, for anything that was in the works? I, I do know that there are a couple companies. Um, most of them are shows that only have two, three, four people. So even when they are rehearsing in person, they can be pretty spread out. Um, but there are, um, Gary Shakespeare is rehearsing via Zoom for their big Shakespeare show, yeah. Becky, um, one question I have is, and it's prompted by an article by Charles McNulty, theater critic for Los Angeles Times. 
What do you see as the post-pandemic uh, theater scene like in Northwest Indiana? I think uh, I think it gives a theaters an opportunity to be creative, and you know you get so tied into what your venue is like. Uh, you know, if you're used to a huge um, auditorium or you're used to a black box, um, now whether you're virtual or you know some theaters have talked about. Um, doing shows on different nights of the week so they can spread out audiences and, you know, having Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday night and, you know, nobody's bats an eye at doing, going to a Chicago show on the middle of the week, but some, for some reason, Northwest Indiana has only ever done weekends. So they're talking about that. They're talking about, you know, why not bring back theater that uses, uses math and just incorporate it into the, the performance. You know, it used to be that way. Um, so I love that people are just being creative and expressing, coming together and being creative, and that's what theater is. Okay, quick, uh, yeah, got to just wrap up here, Becky. Any final thoughts for us and our audience? Please go to needus.org and see what shows are coming up and what ways theater is still happening and will continue to happen across Northwest Indiana. Thank you so much. That's Becky Wachowiak from the Northwest Indexence in Theater Foundation, nidaf.org. Thank you. And now we're back with Art of the Year, and we have two great guests from down in Indianapolis. We have Louis Rickey, the Executive Director for the Indiana Arts Commission, and Kara Amstetz from President and CEO of the Indiana Humanities. Welcome to Art on the Air, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we'll start with you, Lewis. Tell us a little bit about your background uh, and uh, how you got to become uh, executive director at the Indiana Arts Commission. Well, that's kind of a long, circuitous route, but uh, uh, I, I, am a, I'm, I have my master's degree from IU in arts management and um, did, did an internship in Indianapolis with the, um, with the uh, uh, violin competition, the International Violin Competition competition in Indianapolis. Actually worked for public broadcasting for a number of years at WFIU in Bloomington, uh, and then was director of the Columbus Area Arts Council, left the state for a while and then came back to take this this job. So when was, uh, when was Columbus? When was Columbus? Uh I was there from nineteen ninety uh nineteen ninety one to nineteen ninety seven as director of the uh, Columbus Area Arts Council. Boy, Columbus is like a fabulous. I mean, what they've done with the arts is amazing. Lewis, you must Lewis. know uh, Kathy Morris, the the electric violinist from Columbus. That's uh, I do, I do. And you know, Columbus was the first time I was executive director of something, and uh, it was a community that just taught me a lot about how communities plan together and work together. And it was kind of an exemplary situation to you know, be the kid in and learn everything. So uh, I think really highly of Columbus and the leadership there. And before we go off of you, I guess you also have like a family band uh, that does performs. Tell us just briefly about that. Well, yeah, I'm a musician and my kids are musicians. And um, so we, uh, you know, we have played out quite a lot together. I have a, a son who is a drummer and a mandolin player and a, keyboardist and another son who is a guitarist, singer. I'm a singer, piano player. My wife plays a little bass. And um, unfortunately, the band has sort of broken up a bit. The uh, the drummer has moved to Hawaii to be a school teacher <laughs> in Hawaii. So it's a little tough to do the band at that distance. So I guess you could do it by Zoom, but sounds great. Well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kira, let's move on to you. Tell us about how you got from where you uh, were to where you are now. 
Well, uh, thank you again for having me on. I'm really excited to, to chat with you all, and I appreciate the great work you're doing spreading um, the love of the arts in Northwest Indiana. So uh, I am a lifelong Hoosier. Um, I grew up in Steuben County and have spent most of my adult career in Indianapolis. One of the uh, interesting, I think, twists and turns in my career path is that I spent the last um, I've spent the last 12 years at Indiana Humanities, but immediately before that, I had a really cool job. I was head of cultural development for the city of Indianapolis, um, and we had an amazing public-private partnership during that time to provide a significant investment in the uh, cultural tourism area. We did a major series of public art programs, cultural districts, and an investment in communication and product development. So it was a lot of fun, great opportunity to serve the city, but I'm really excited that I've been able to serve the full state the last 12 years, um, especially being a small-town girl. So And a small-time girl that has a law degree. I, I was uh, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. That was the beginning of my career. It was it was. Wonderful and exciting, but I have to tell you, there's nothing like working in the arts and cultural sector. Excellent. I, I agree with that. So with, I'm always referencing Indianapolis to um, Michigan City because it is so – Indianapolis is such an artistic place to go in. I just I, – especially Mass Ave. Even, even the crosswalks are a joy. Um, <laughs> and so I'm always referencing what, you know, let's – Let's use this as the example of how we can really bring real-time art to anybody who's walking anywhere. So thank you so much. Uh, Kara, let's continue with you. Uh, tell us a little about uh, what the Indiana Humanities does. Uh, well, you know, we consider ourselves kind of a sister organization to Lewis's group. So his focus is the art, particularly performing and visual art, but we are the humanities. So our work is in history in cultural work, in literature. Um, so we are a grant maker, and we do programs in the humanities statewide. So one of the things I know we'll chat a little bit about later is um, perhaps some of the, the uh, organizations that we serve in your area. And, um, you know, our typical partners are libraries and museums and schools um, and, again, local history organizations. So... Uh, you know, we work in all 92 counties. Our um, shorthand version of our mission is we encourage Hoosiers to think, read, and talk. So, again, we view ourselves as a partner to Lewis and his uh, arts work, but, you know, our goal is to enrich the lives of people in Indiana through the humanities and communities as well. And just out of curiosity, you're broken up into regions much like the Indiana Arts Commission with, lo- like, lo- kind of local control? No, actually not. Okay. We, don't, we don't have regions uh, in that way. All of our grant making takes place just um, through Indiana Humanities directly. Excellent. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Well, Lewis, we'll move on to you, and I know much of our audience does know about the Indiana Arts Commission, but go ahead, for those that may not know, tell us exactly about what your mission is with the Indiana Arts Commission. Well, sure. I mean, we are a state agency, so we're an executive agency under the office of the governor. Uh, so just like our state has, you know, a transportation department and health and other things, we are, we are in for the arts. So we are partnered to Kira. She's on the not-for-profit side of the world. I'm on the public side of the world. And, uh, and we, uh, we actually, uh, serve, uh, artists and we serve organizations, either arts organizations or those that 
provide arts programming, as well as community. So those are our three major constituent groups. And we do research and advocacy for each of those groups. We do capacity building, which is to help them be more successful. Uh, and then we do granting. We invest in them to produce public um, public outcomes for, for our state that, that are valuable for, for all of our citizens. We're probably, like here, probably best known for uh, our grant-making in the state. Uh, but as you were saying, already, as we were starting, uh, you tune into a lot of our webinars during uh, this time, which is part of our capacity building, right, to help the field uh, be successful even under these unusual conditions that we're in at the moment. Uh, we do have a regional system. South Shore Arts is our partner up in your neck of the woods. We have actually 11 regions around the state with local partners that help us do our grant-making and service providing. Uh, we have a commission of 15 commissioners appointed by the governor, and they hire me, and I uh, have a wonderful staff uh, that develops our programs and services. So, Well, Lewis, we'll make sure yeah, to put... You do have a wonderful staff. Everybody I've ever communicated with is just so professional and helpful. You're very lucky. And, Lewis, we'll put in a good word to Libby Chu up here for you, too, so... Right, I have a couple of wonderful commissioners up there, Libby Chu from Ogden Dunes and uh, Dusty Stemmer from um, from Chesterton are, are my two commissioners from up that way. Very good. Yeah, I, I know Libby because we've been at arts events uh, together. I've not met the other one. I do live in Chesterton, but uh, yeah, anyway, that sounds great. So uh, we'll come back to Kira here for right now. Uh, with the COVID-19 uh, uh, event, this whole uh, pandemic thing, how is that impacting your programs and what you are doing uh, with the humanities? Well, that's a terrific question. And, and I think like many of your listeners, it's impacting everything. Um, I think... When all of this started, we knew it was going to be um, a life-changing event, but I don't think we realized um, the extent to which we would have to, um, I think, retool all of our work. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, the first one is we do most of our programs in person, connecting with others in, you know, spaces like, uh, you know, again, museums or, or our office or, uh, you know, in other locations around the state, we have pulled back from all of our in-person programming like like everyone during this time. But we have, uh, because we have such a creative team and such a dynamic group, we have been able to pivot and we have been doing a robust series of digital programs um, and we have continued all of our grant making um without interruption through this process. So as organizations are continuing to dream and come up with new ways of serving the community, we can respond to that and we can be helpful. So that's been a big part of our pivot. Um, one other thing that I know um, you were hoping that we would talk about is that both Lewis um, through the Arts Commission and Indiana Humanities through our federal partners did receive some funding through the CARES grant that we could distribute to in support, um, operational support of organizations that we both serve. And so uh, we announced just this week that we um, distributed over $500,000 statewide. And there are a few local organizations that we have been able to give support to that I will just give shout-outs to right now, the Cedar Lake Historic Society, the Hobart Historical Society, Porter County Public Library, and the Crown Point Community Library, just to name a couple. 
Excellent. Yeah, that's, that's important, the CARES Act. Uh, I know I'm a board chair for Lakeshore Public Media, which is radio and television up here. And uh, we received uh, some wonderful uh, uh, payroll uh, adjustments and everything to keep us going because we're kind of a small operation. Uh, so I'll come back to you, Lewis. The same question. How are you, uh, how's the Indian Arts Commission dealing with uh, uh, the pandemic? Well, in uh, many of the same ways, you know, I, I think as strong as we have been in the capacity building uh, realm, uh, and a lot of that was in-person things. You probably are familiar with the Indiana Arts Homecoming, which is our sort of our flagship capacity building event every year for the field, uh, and it, it, many other in-person uh, seminars in public art and and art, art entrepreneurship and many other things. Uh, we have moved all of that uh, online, so we have done now a series of webinars over the last couple of months, um, about a dozen webinars, and had well over attendance of well over 2,000 cumulatively with those webinars, uh, with you know an average attendance of a couple hundred people uh, for each of our webinars, and they've been on. Topics, uh, including, uh, fundraising, board development, entrepreneurship, intellectual property rights as people move, uh, artistic products online, uh, community relevance, uh, uh, just a variety of topics, uh, and, and as well as Kira, we partnered with our, the National Endowment of the Arts to distribute CARES funds in our state. Um, we actually had a, a number of sources of, of funds, which we funds which we put an emergency relief fund together, which included uh, CARES funds directly from the NEA, CARES funds from the NEA through Arts Midwest, which is our regional partner here in the Midwest for nine states uh, that are partners with the NEA, and then some other funds from the uh, Arts Commission, and we uh, have just awarded almost. $600,000 of funds throughout the state. Uh, those uh, organizations that uh, were receiving operational grants from us uh, were eligible to receive a $3,000 um, emergency relief uh, fund uh, amount. Uh, there were some 199 organizations that qualified throughout the state of Indiana, and 95 of them decided to accept uh, the funds, not surprisingly, almost all of them. Uh, some of the uh, organizations in your region included the Community Theater Guild, Chicago Street Theater, the Memorial Opera House, the, the Chesterton, Chesterton Art Center, the Art Bar Barnes School of the Arts. So uh, we're glad that uh, there are a number of organizations in your area. That's just a sampling of some of the ones in Porter County, where you guys are. So, so is it mostly just nonprofits then that the funding is for? Um, are organizations that are are under that category? Correct. So our partner, the National Endowment for the Arts, uh, wanted us to provide it for uh, not-for-profit arts organizations for general operating types of support for operational support. Um, so we already had this large group of organizations that we um, uh, that apply to us on an annual basis. So in 2020, we had already paneled in, in a open process uh, 
those opportunities and 199 organizations were already receiving operational funds from us. So these CARES Act funds uh, augment that and make it available for them to uh, have some additional support and some specific relief during this time. Lewis, we've interviewed some of the grantees, and uh, there is a little bit of concern, but maybe you can speak to that. They're not able to fulfill parts of their grants, which especially like performance and things. So uh, tell us sure. how, the, how to address, how they should address that. So, you know, we are, fortunately, we do have our regional arts partnership. And so we have a way to connect with, uh, to connect with organizations on a, on a more kind of individual le- level and do some coaching and mentoring and, um, work through some of those issues. So we are simply working through all of our grantees in the state so they can, uh, modify, uh, if they were for, for instance, a project grant, they could modify the project to go into a virtual space rather than a physical space or perhaps change the timing of it or, or the substance of it in order to allow it to still have public value, as well as our organizational grantees where we give money for general operations. We simply want them to document to us how they're changing their operations during this time and remaining relevant um, and, and to, in their service to their communities. So, for instance, we have a lot of, I, I have a list of uh, project grantees that we're working with at the moment all in Porter County. And I thought I'd give you that list as well. Uh, but All About Art Incorporated, Boys and Girls Club of Greater Northwest Indiana, Ballet for Folklorical of Northwest Indiana, Discovery Charter School, Doodlin Chamber of Commerce, Dua Sequenza, uh, Frontline Foundations, Indiana Dunes, uh, Opportunity Enterprises, South Shore Brass Band, South Shore Chamber Orchestra, Doodlin Family YMCA, Valpo Creative Council, Valpo Theatrical Company. As you can see, some of these are art uh, organizations, and some of them are other types of community organizations that do art projects. But we are working with every grantee to make sure that uh, they can, you know, have those funds and they can still produce good things for their communities. Uh, Lewis, just by way of disclosure, both Esther and I have served on grant commissions. In fact, I uh, moderated the last one by Zoom. So uh, we're familiar with many of those organizations. And Chester Narts and I'm also a board member, uh, along with a few others. So we'll, we'll go over I, to... I, I should also uh, uh, say that um, Neighbors Broadcasting and WBLP is also a project grant recipient of ours. So, and, and that's what yeah, keeps okay. art on the air on the air. <laughs> That's and we've expanded our co- coverage because now uh, the station itself only covers like Valparaiso, Central Porter County. But with with us being on Lakeshore Public Radio, we now really can serve the three county area uh, in a much broader way. Uh, over to you, Kara. Some of the same things. Uh, uh, how uh, how are you dealing with individual grantees and uh, their response to that? It's maybe a little different for the humanities, but uh, tell us about that. Well, you know, I think the key right now is to help support the sustainability of the organizations that are within our umbrella and to provide as much flexibility as possible. So like Lewis, we have been on the phone and on email with all of our grantees, making sure they know that we completely appreciate the situation that they're in. And I think what I would love to just spend a minute talking about, too, is the need that we're seeing out there, because I think it's really important for the community to know 
how devastating the COVID crisis has been on the cultural sector. There are lots of people out of work. There are a lot of fundraisers that aren't happening. There are a lot of programs that aren't happening, people not being served. And there is real, genuine, tangible, palpable need. And we are doing everything, again, we can to be supportive. And uh, luckily, we have the ability to be very flexible, whether it's postponing an event or helping an, uh, an organizer recalibrate an event in a different kind of format that will work today. We are doing all of those things. But I did want to give you a couple of numbers because this was it, this just took the air out of my, you know, lungs when I when I saw it. So for the applications we received for the CARES funding we had, and remember we had about $500,000 to distribute, we got 186 applications statewide, and those organizations told us that to date they have lost $11.7 million. And we asked them to project out through September what they thought their losses might look like. And the losses projected are $44.9 million. So although I'm so grateful we've been able to provide some immediate stability to these organizations that need, the need is way bigger than we can fill. So I think it's really important for folks out there to realize your arts and cultural organizations need you too. Um, and uh, I know fundraising right now for a lot of organizations is really focused on immediate human needs and sustainability, but um, the arts and cultural sector is really has really taken a hit. Um, so let's look ahead for a little bit, both of you, and I'll take this back to Lewis. When we get through the pandemic, which we don't know exactly how long it is, uh, maybe in the future, how do you see if this changing how things are going to be run, uh, if at all? But and that's, a, that's an excellent question. And I, I, I know that um, right now every arts organization is, in the, is trying to articulate a reopening plan. Now, of course, those reopening plans are framed by national, state, and local directives about uh, reopening. So, from uh, from you know the White House or from the governor's uh, office, and from local mayors or county offices, those those um, parameters are being set for people. Um, there's also a lot of information that is beginning to flow to arts organizations, not only in Indiana, around the country, from national organizations that uh, embody uh, best practices for individual disciplines. So that might be for uh, musicians or for actors or for dancers, for performing artists, uh, etc., with uh, best practices as far as a safe and responsible uh, opening, both for artists as well as for patrons and audience members, and for facilities and venues. Um, so it's pretty complicated, actually, and uh, the uh, the arts offer some pretty unique uh, uh, unique uh, uh, challenges uh, as far as operating as they have always operated. And it's going to re- uh, uh, require some uh, creative uh, problem-solving on the parts of our organizations to adapt what they do to the new realities and still make it both mission driven and service oriented to their to their constituents as well as financially viable and doable for them. Um, so we're in some really challenging time as Kara said for our organization and again we are also playing the role of uh, helping them sort through those things and find the path forward. So uh, that capacity 
building aspects of what we do as an organization, education, dissemination of information becomes all the more critical during a time like this because it will be up ultimately up to them to figure out how to do it. Uh, but we can do some coaching. We can provide good and accurate information. We can provide wisdom uh, from national sources, uh, best practices, that sort of thing to help guide their decision-making processes. Kara, to you, we have about a minute left. How, how about the same thing? Um, I will just jump in and say that I have been on lots of the same calls that Lewis has been with our community. And although they have a lot of questions and there's a lot of confusion, there's so much creativity. There's so much passion. There's so much hope. And I think for our community to heal from this crisis, and we need the cultural sector. We need our artists. We need our humanists. We need, um, you know, all the vibrancy that this brings to a community uh, for us to, to heal. So Lewis and I will continue to do everything we can to provide that support, but I'm optimistic that our creative friends will find new ways to serve the community and perhaps even some new better ways to serve. Very good. Well, I think we'll have to wrap it up there. We really appreciate you coming on Art in the Air and telling us that. Uh, you've been listening to Lewis Rickey from the Indian Arts Commission and Kara Amstetz from Indiana Humanities. We appreciate you being on Art in the Air and sharing uh, what's going on during the, the pandemic. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. And now we'd like to welcome to Art on the Air, Mike Owens. He's an American roots musician, plays several instruments, known primarily for playing the harmonica, slide guitar, and so forth. He's from Southern Missouri. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you. Aloha, Mike. We'd like to ask you, Mike, uh, tell us a little bit about your personal story, like uh, where you grew up uh, and how you got from where you were to where you are now. Well, um, originally I'm from uh, Missouri, uh, South Missouri, actually, and uh, I lived quite a few places uh in my adolescent years, my father was in the military and then later was a engineer and patent agent and such. And we uh, lived a few, in a few states. But then uh, I spent several years in St. Louis and, uh, and a few other places and then uh, moved to Chicago eventually, or, or actually Indiana, but the, the area when uh, I was uh, working um, for a railroad and uh, ended up doing railroad work for quite a while. I worked a whole lot of different kinds of occupations over the years. Uh, um, worked in uh, meatpacking plants and uh, did did um, uh, greenhouse and truck patch work as a young man and worked washing pots and pans and, and uh, worked on a farm and, and uh, factories and all kinds of things. Anyway, I wound up up here because of the railroad and uh, I played guitar that whole time and, and uh, couple other uh, instruments with maybe a little less proficiency, but... When you were in the Army, did you play guitar during that time? I did. I had a beater a beater guitar that I bought for, I don't know, a couple of dollars. Uh, I had I didn't, I didn't had a guitar at home, but I didn't bring it with me, so then I ended up buying one uh, really cheap, and I drug it around and, uh, and beat on it uh, while I was in the service, yeah. Even even in Vietnam, I was carrying it around with me in Vietnam. So, uh. I'd like to say first of all, thank you for your service in Vietnam. Where did you whereabouts did you serve in Vietnam, and what service? I was in the army, and uh, I, I I actually covered a big part of it because I started out down in the south uh, near near Saigon at a base they called uh, um, uh, Long Bin, and 
but they they called me up and uh, or called me in and um, said they were shipping me north. So I went up to Cameron Bay, which is about halfway up, and then uh, I wasn't there hardly any time. And they said we're moving you to a special outfit in uh, Da Nang, which is uh, getting closer to where the DMZ was. And uh, and I spent the majority of my time up in the north part near Da Nang, near the uh, large. There's a large Marine Corps base there and uh i was in a unit that had uh i was in an army unit but uh the assignments we had were mixed uh they do a, a lot more of that today i think than they did back then but uh the, the, they would have uh several forces working together on a on a particular mission or whatever so uh, we had marine dogs and stuff like that with us excellent anyway. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, your music today, and, and we'll also talk a little bit about your art, but tell us uh, the roots of your music, uh, exactly what it fits. Uh, I know it's generally called Americana Roots, but uh, describe that to our audience who may not know what Americana Roots is. Well, Americana, I would I'd say, is a, a kind of a more recent term. Maybe uh, 10 or 15 years ago, probably, uh, they started using it, but it takes into account more of the, uh, a little less on the electric side, but um, a little more of the roots uh, music that is particularly American. So I would say the uh, the blues music, the the mountain music, the, the Appalachian style, Ozark um, mountain style, um, and some of the more, um, the more, the less, Less fancy types of country music, the less, uh, maybe not as, uh, polished or not as, as, um, as produced. Uh, those, uh, more like, uh, you would, you would expect to see at a folk music festival or, or people on the back porch, right? I was going to say that, Esther, so thank you. Yeah. Um, and that's, and we did a lot of that. I mean, just, Playing in, in, on evenings like it'll probably be tonight, where it's going to be maybe 80 degrees or something in the evening. You're out on the porch with a couple people and and some guitars and maybe a mandolin and some beverages and uh, and uh, not really even singing to much of an audience, just a group of folks that were there. So those are my favorite experiences. Yeah, you get a lot of that around the like the bluegrass festivals and, and such, where aside from the main stage, the be a lot. A lot of people will just bunch up, you know, out in the parking lot or you know nearby, and uh, and uh, just play uh, with each other. And they're not even part of the main show, you know. And it, that's pretty common. And so, what instruments uh, are you uh, uh, focusing on now? I told in the beginning, I said a few, but what are you uh, your primary instruments you use for your uh, Americana music? Uh, mainly, I use. Um, uh, guitars and, uh, and a mandolin and a harmonica. And, and the majority of my guitar work, uh, as far as playing with anybody, I usually use what they call resonators. Some people call them dobros, uh, guitars. Minor, uh, I have, uh, I don't know, about six of them. And they're steel, they're brass, they're wood, but they're, they're a little different kind of an instrument. Uh, they're still basically a guitar though. And, uh, but I have a I have a few old uh, uh, wooden guitars, two regular like uh, guild uh, type guitars uh, that I use, uh, and then I use a, a lot of times I use a harp 
in a rack. Uh, that's a thing that holds it up for you so you can play the guitar at the same time. Uh, and then I occasionally, uh, if, if somebody else is uh, doing all the guitar work, then I might break out the mandolin and fill in some holes uh, with the mandolin. So sometimes that's the most fun. Sometimes jingles on your ankle. Yes, oh yeah, I do. I, um, well, I started getting in a few years back. I started uh, getting into the where a lot of the solo roots players provided their own percussion by foot stomping. I started uh, uh, doing that, not even consciously. I was doing it, and then uh, somebody commented on it, and I realized I was actually pounding on the the, the floor with my boots, and uh, so I started um, adding on that. I'd take uh, I have a, a a couple of tambourines, and one has a like a notch cut out of it. It's just kind of a different way to hold it. So I was able to strap that to my boot, and then I also have a few other jingles that are on a, like a Velcro strip I put around my boot. And uh, so then when I stomp, it adds a little... <laughs> A little extra jingle, as you say. Yeah, I'd like to actually have our audience listen to some music, and I'm going to set it up. Uh, we like to listen to Ozark Road. Tell us a little about the inspiration behind that song before we play it and instruments and things like that. Well, uh, I, I was um, writing different, uh, you know, I, as long as I can remember, I've tried to do some songwriting, and, and I, was, I would write different songs about uh you know, people or whatever. And then uh, one day, uh, my lovely wife just said, why don't you write a song about, you know, where you're from or your your background? So uh, I thought about that for a little bit. And uh, this song basically uh, is what came out of that. And uh, it's called Ozark Road. And it's just basically about a guy, you know, that's caught up in, uh, in making a living and everything. And, and, uh, and thinking back about uh, those those more basic uh, roots, uh, a simpler life, I guess, uh, living in the in the country and all that, and, and playing on the front, playing on the front porch with a uh, with a girl in the swing or whatever, and uh, those kinds of uh, memories, you know, and that's kind of what it was. So it's a brilliant song, Mike. I just love it so much. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Well, why don't we just take a listen to it? Here is uh, Mike Owens on Ozark Road. I'm running through the airport, gripping my hand. Much I gotta learn before I land. I gotta be in D.C. by the morning light. I'm riding on a red eye late tonight, and there's people in paper. Numbers to crunch, another meeting, then no time for lunch. But if just for a second, the pace is slow in my mind, just off somewhere down the nose off road. Down the nose off road. Well, somewhere down the nose off road, the coon dog's barking at a croaking toad, and a young boy plays guitar tonight while a pretty girl's swinging in the front porch light. Sunday morning, church bells ring, chicken fries and the choir girls sing, and the flags are popping, but the wind ain't cold, and my beat-up truck still rolling, rolling down the nose of Ozark Road. 
get so tired of office walls, those faxes and letters and telephone calls, and I've heard every single old tired cliche about the powers that be in the end of the day, and I know no matter how I feel the need, I got bills to pay, I got mouths to feed, and I know this thing on the day I die, when I roll back my head and look up to the sky. I know that somewhere on an Ozark road A coon doctor barking at a cooking toad And a young boy will play guitar tonight While a pretty girl singing in the front porch light Sunday morning, church bells ring Chicken fries and a wild girl sing And the flags are popping, the wind ain't cold Some kids beat up truck is rolling Rolling down an Ozark With the wheels, who owls and crickets at night. Catfish trout, big bass bite. Kitchen is hot, and what grandma's making. Blackberry cobbler, and biscuits bacon, and a camouflage boat floating down the river. A painted turkey hunting pulls an arrow from his quiver, and the daredevils play on the radio. The lovers in the lane are steaming up the car. Somewhere on an Ozark road A cool dog barking at a cocaine toad And a young boy will play guitar tonight While a pretty girl dance in the footboard's light It's Sunday morning, church bells ring Those chicken fries and a wild girl singing the bottom, but the wind ain't cold A beat-up truck rolling Rolling down the Ozark road Yeah, somewhere Yeah, somewhere Mike Owens doing uh, Ozark Road It's a fine song, Mike <laughs> Thank you so much You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. So most of our listeners probably don't, well, the ones that know Mike know this, but Mike not only brings a variety of guitars when he's performing, but he also brings a sketchbook and does his 10-minute sketches or drawings of whoever is performing. So, Mike, what are you, what are you 10-minute sketching? these days? Uh, it's still the same. I, I like to go particularly to open mics where uh, people are only going to be playing for a limited time, you know, 10, I call them 10 because they're playing for 10 to 15 minutes. And I like to do the, you know, the, the musicians and the poets and the comedians or whatever they have. And I'm, and that forces me to try to capture a likeness and just you know, a short time, and, and and because of that, because I don't have much time, I, I'm not able to really fret over a particular line. I just got to move with some fluidity, and 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 then I like I like it's my way of um of recognizing the people that get out and perform too, because I generally, if I think it's any good, I'll um I'll 
contact or talk to the person I sketched and 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 give them a copy of it or or ask them if I can post it online uh, things like that so they get a little recognition that way it's not much but it's what I can offer you know yeah but so. what are you doing now that we're not having public performances are you still sketching oh I I see no I've been uh, because uh, of that I've been doing less sketching and more painting uh, actually large larger paintings. So the paintings I've seen that you've done, they seem to have more of a psychological or surreal aspect. Is that, would you consider that your style, or was that just the paintings that I saw? I, I never thought of it that way. I'm Mainly I'm focused on doing, uh, the majority of the time, is doing, kind of like my music, I'm doing uh, paintings of people. I don't really do, like, landscapes or, or whatever. They're mostly some style of a of a portraiture or something, and they're... Uh, I I don't really want them to be just um, like a photographic portrait where you're just sitting there square faced uh, at the camera. So I, you know, I try to have uh, a painting where the the person is. Although I've done something like that, uh, but I try to focus on uh, the person uh, doing a little bit of something. Uh, right, I've got, the ones that uh, I was, the ones that you showed me were from the Wanderlust exhibit. Uh huh. They had a yeah, uh, those those are kind kind of dictated by you know like those types of exhibitions are where there's a, a, a theme. So I was trying to come up uh, with a theme there, but uh, but one of those is a uh, uh, a little girl looking out a window, mm-hmm. and uh, that was uh, uh, a girl that's in my family and uh, 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 I'm doing uh, three now uh, that are basically done, but. For a show, they got um, it's another Fun. South Lake artist co-op show for for bees about bees, um, but they're mine aren't paintings of bees. They're actually people that are involved with bees, so like beekeepers and such. So, so was that the? Because I noticed on your Facebook page you were gessoing up like multiple canvases. So was that for yes, that ma'am. project or or? Um, yes, that part of that was yeah. Uh, uh, part of it was because I don't want to. Uh, to do that right before I do a painting, I don't want them to already be ready. So, but yeah, uh, three of those uh, were for that. Um, they were about uh, 24 by 30 something, probably uh, canvases size, 24 by 30 inch or something like that. Uh, so, that so, what's your next? Do you have your next one plotted out yet? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm close. Yeah, it's going to be. Um, it's going to be uh, more uh, people. I've got one portrait of, that's not for a show that I want to do uh, of somebody I know, uh, kind of um, in a work environment. Uh, he's a railroad guy, uh, and so um, you know, a little bit of the uh, of the blood and sweat, you know, of the work I wanted to show. So yeah. Well, speaking of railroads, did we? Uh... Maybe that would be a good time to listen to Highway. So why don't we go ahead and listen to The Highway. Oh, <laughs> 
to trouble. Lean on window pane. Just with drifters on folks with land home. They say that road is just for drifters and folks with land home. And all along some highway, it's, it's calling me to roam. I close my eyes and kiss the dust. I stand. I close my eyes and kiss the ties. I stand back and watch them roll. I can feel desperation when I'm out there on the road. That old lonesome highway, it's, it's calling me to roam. And that's Mike Owens and uh, The Highway. Hey, Mike, tell us about your website and where they can see your artwork and uh, music. 
Well, I have a, a website. It's called MikeOwensArt.com, and it's a, uh art and music website. I'm loading some of my paintings and drawings up on it now. And then I also have a Facebook uh, music page. It's called Ozark Road Music and Art at Facebook. So uh, both those uh, sites have uh, uh, videos of my music and um, and sketches and drawings and such. Oh, Mike, we'd like to thank you for being on Art in the Air, American Roots Musician, and uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Mike. And thanks for having me. And we'd like to thank our guests today for being on Art in the Air, which is heard every Friday at 11 a.m., rebroadcast Monday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Your hosts are Larry Breckner and Esther Golden. Thanks again to Greg Kovach, WVLP Station Manager. Underwriters for Art in the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum and Walt Brenninger of Paragon Investments. Also, Mary LeVan is our art patron supporter. Art in the Air is supported by the Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant and the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event, exhibit, please email us at art. On the air, WVLP at gmail.com. That's art on the air, WVLP at gmail.com. See you right here next week, 103.1 FM and 89.1 FM, art on the air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know. I'm Larry, art on the air today Stay in the know with Larry and Esther Art on the air our way Express yourself to art and show the world your heart Express yourself to art and show the world